Hi, thanks for joining us today. You're listening to the Rock Church of the Quad Cities podcast. Here, you'll find a collection of our weekly sermons, as well as other content that we create as it becomes available. Up next is episode 19, and Pastor Nick Tapia is concluding his teaching on prophecy in our new series called Charismata. Thanks for listening, and if you'd like to find out more about our church and attending a live service, you can find us online at www.rockchurchqc.com, as well as on Facebook at Rock Church of the Quad Cities. You can also watch our sermons, both past and live, on YouTube. Just search Rock Church QC, and be sure to click the subscribe button and turn on notifications so you know when we go live and post new content. Thanks for listening, and we hope this message truly blesses you. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good? Great? I am, I am not a good golfer, I will admit that. I do know you don't drive a cart on the green, though. <laughs> Pastor Dan does not know that, if this is what you're wondering. <laughs> got us yelled, almost got, almost got us kicked out of one of the most renowned golf courses in all of Atlanta. Anyway, it was, I have to say, you know, um, I don't know why, I don't mean this sarcastically, I get this, God has knit my heart with Dan and Terry and, and, and now Josiah, now that he's finally become a Christian again. <laughs> but man, I love it, and I got to travel with them, I got to spend, what, 30-something hours in a car with them there and back, and um, they are who they say they are, and that is one of the most beautiful things about, I think, our staff in this church, and what's permeating through here is I hope we never, ever try to portray some idea of pretension and having to arrive, but we are just a people who are just after the grace of God for ourselves as leaders, and I hope to God you guys get that. I hope you understand as we're going through this series, we're going to be talking about gifting. We're going to be talking about who Christ is. We're going to be talking about purpose and being driven towards the things of God but we never, ever believe we have arrived on this stage. And the idea is that it is just as important that you get the idea that the Holy Spirit resides in you for such a time as this, just as much as it does myself, Pastor Dan, Pastor Terry, or Pastor Josiah. Does that make sense? Uh, this is uh, part two of prophecy. Last week, we uh, attempted to define what prophecy is. And the quickest way I can say that is prophecy is the divine, uh, is the declaration of a divine revelation. It is when the anointing of God rests on a person and the message that they deliver has that very life and spirit and breath of who God is and it changes the circumstance. We, re- we read Revelation verses 19, uh, 10 for the, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, is that prophecy is that very idea that who you are covered by the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than what you could do on your own. And as I receive prophetic declaration over my life and I surrender to that word, whatever it might be, however specific or broad it might be, it will actually change who I am into something I never could merit on my own. Does that make sense? So last week we covered what, what is prophecy. This week I hope to cover why we should prophesy. Why on earth should we aim to do this? We've been quoting 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 1. Pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And I want to read, uh, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to his protege, his, 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 his own disciple. 
And I just want to read from here. What you see in this letter, as opposed to 1 Corinthians, is, is, is this is more personal than it is theological. This isn't written to an entire congregation. This was, this was read aloud, but it was written specifically to Timothy. And I want to start in verse 12. This is Paul talking. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. I want you to see that. He acknowledges his need of a Savior. He is the foremost sinner. He says, but verse 16, man, something just shot my page over. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. The king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He gives this direction, and he goes into verse 18. And he says, this charge to you, Timothy, I entrust to you. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. As Jared would say, bars. (laughs) That's an inside joke for our uh, 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 prayer circle. I want to pause there before we go into things. Of all the things Paul says to Timothy... To give this moment some context is, is Paul or Timothy is dealing with people who are causing an uproar. He is facing a political and religious system inside of this town, which he is a pastor. He is very young. I believe, I can't remember, it's in his 30s, I believe he is. He's a very young pastor. And Paul says, I want you to wage warfare, not with the knowledge you've accumulated, not with the pedigree, not with the lineage of your family, which he cites later in the letter, not with that you are a disciple of Paul, but with the prophecies previously made about you. What's he saying? I want you to stake the warfare over your life over what Jesus Christ has to say about you. I want you to stake your authority in who you are and where you're going, not on what is happening around you inside of your church or against your very opponents, but I want you to stake everything on who God says you are. Because there's a secret Paul knows in this. When I know who I am, I'll always remember know what to do. That's why we prophesy. Prophesy is not there to be seen as powerful. Prophecy is there because every single person in this room, every single, I know that I know that I know, is believing lies about themselves. Is believing that their past is way too dark for them to ever be used in the kingdom of God. They've messed up way too far. They've, there's been too much blood on their hands for God to ever use them with purpose and intention and to bring people into his kingdom. He says, Reflect on the prophecies previously made about you. Because those very things that will root your identity in something much greater than what you face. Does that make sense? I, uh, before we get moving, I would like to uh, give a PSA, if you would, of, of sorts. I'm concerned. Younger people, I'm going to need your help on this. 
We need to teach old people how to text. You might ask, well, what do you mean by old? If you got a little mad at me when I said old people, you're old. <laughs> Just clear line. And uh, a reason I know that is because it is only old people who aren't aware that there is one letter on your keyboard that you can never send isolated and alone. For those of you who know where I'm going, that word, that letter is K. That letter makes me so mad because it makes me, it brings out every single insecurity and sin and thoughtless moment of my life that I just want to rip my face off. <laughs> Pastor Dan sent me K once. I'll never forget it. To this day, it is ingrained in my brain. This is what you don't do to somebody whom you love. I'll never forget, I used to, I was the youth pastor here for a little while, and on Wednesdays, my day was started a little later because we had youth service. And one morning, Pastor Dan says, hey, what time do you plan on coming in today? I was like, oh, around lunch, maybe a little after. He goes, well, hey, could, could you just come early and get lunch, and I'll, I'll pay for it. Just go grab Chick-fil-A for the both of us. This is what I want. And uh, I just really need to talk to you about something really important. And I said, okay, you got it. No problem. I'll be there at 12, whatever. He said back, Okay. It's about a 25-minute drive from where I lived at this time. Do you know how, do you know how, how long you can stew in your sin for 25 minutes? I started repenting over every paperclip and post-it note I took from the church at that point. I thought, man, this, surely, Dan's mad at me. I'm done. This is it. I've been in ministry for like two, three years. Like, this is it. I'm going to be working at Staples for a little while now. Okay. It's like, you know what, I, Dan, I hope. <laughs> I hope your day's going good with that extra second you got from not sending okay and letting me know everything was okay. Anyway, I drive the 25 minutes. I'm just literally, I think it was like August. It wasn't that cold, but I was sweating the entire time. Went to Chick-fil-A, got us food, bitterly. Like, oh, this, this is the last meal I'm ever going to share with Pastor Dan. You know? <laughs> you just feel it. You can feel it in the car. And so I get, anyway, I get there, and we start talking, and Dan has, you know, Dan, Dan is the most, he, he's Santa Claus. I mean, there's no other way to put it. If, if, if you had one person who was Santa Claus, it would be him. And I sit in his office, and he says, sit down. We can talk about something. And uh, we start going, and... And uh, long story short, I really can't share this portion of the story, but I didn't get fired. Someone else, I think, got fired. So I was good. I didn't care anymore at that point. <laughs> but I say that to say that the people in your life who are an authority figure, Dan is, in every sense of the word, a spiritual father to me. The words that he says to me hold a weight that not many other human beings on this planet say. As I say that, you probably know someone. It might be your spouse. It might be a father-in-law. It might be a mentor in your life. There are people in our life who, when they say something, there is intentionality and purpose and weight to them. This is who Paul is to Timothy. He, this is, Timothy has staked his life to follow Paul in, this, in this, this, this crazy emergence of what is now the church. And in this letter, you get this sense for Paul that the sun is beginning to set on his ministry and his time in life. 
And as Timothy's is beginning to rise, as he's beginning to be entrusted with more and more and more, he tells Timothy, the very best thing you can do in your life in knowing who you are is to sit and to ponder and remember and to remember the prophecies made over your life. Why is that? Why is it? He tells Timothy, you need to remember the prophecies of your life. I believe it's contained in, the thing about prophecies are, sometimes we get this idea, I'm just sharing this cute little message to somebody and hoping that it will lift them up. We are not given that in scripture. We are not given this idea that prophecies are just some cute little message I tied on a bow, and here I hope you do something great with it. Actually, Jesus talks about what prophecy is in his life and in his ministry. In John chapter 14, we'll start there. He's talking with his disciples. And one of his disciples stands up and says, hey, show us, the reveal God to us. And she says, hey, 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 wait a minute. If you have seen me, then you have actually seen the Father. And I'm going to say a statement right here. Let me finish it before someone clips it and puts it on YouTube and calls me a heretic. We have sufficient evidence to show Jesus Christ was spirit-led. Fair? He was led into baptism. He was led into the wilderness and temptation. He was led by the Spirit to the cross. We see these literal words being said. He was led, but he was 100% God. But he sacrificed, he forbear who he was as a son to be led by the Spirit. So what? Not that he would be the prodigy of our faith, but the pioneer. Does that make sense? People are after an encounter with God. Fair? You being here says, hey, I, I, want an I want an experience with this King of Kings and this Lord of Lords, the giver of life, the, the giver of this fresh living water. I want an encounter with that God. Everyone else would say that. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And that said something, as I was reading that over and over again, this says something to me. How do we reveal the Father. We revealed the good Father by being good sons and daughters. Did you hear that? I'm not equating us with Jesus. I'm not saying on any way, shape, or form I would even stand shoulders. I, I am so beneath who Jesus Christ is. It is unfathomable. Every single one of us are. But Jesus says, if you've seen me and what I do, the works that I do, how I commune and move and pray and use the Spirit of God, if you've seen that, you've seen the Father. And one of the most amazing things Jesus does, I love it, in, in Mark chapter 1, verse 41, there's a leper who approaches Jesus, and it says that the leper asked him, hey, if you will just make me whole, if you, I believe you can, will you? And Jesus says, moved with compassion, he said, I will. And this leper became healed. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, you are a son or a daughter of the king. 
And I want to ask us, I want us all to take a moment to ask ourselves, as we are studying the gifts of the Spirit, as we are immersing ourselves in what these are, what moves you? Is it influence? Is it spotlight? Is it notoriety? Is it to feel significant? Is it to cover up that hole of insecurity inside of you? Is it to feel as though you're worth something to God? Is it that everyone else in your life has told you you are worthless and you never be anything, so you want to try to prove them wrong? And I'm not saying we, we all intermingle in all of this, but it says that Jesus Christ, when he begins to move and operate in the gifts of the Spirit, says he was moved with compassion and or pity. That word there means the love seat, means to be moved to one's bowels. The bowels in, 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 the, in, the, in the Jewish thought process was, 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 was known as the love seat. It was to be so moved that someone's burden becomes yours. Sometimes I think we think Jesus is just David Blaine out there. Just doing street magic and talking real slowly and, 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 and mundane. He's moved by something. He's moved to the depth of his heart over you. Terry called me out earlier today. Uh, I didn't think she saw it, but uh, as we were driving uh, down there, I would look at my phone, and my wife was sending me pictures of my baby girl. And um, I would pick up my phone every, I don't know, hour it felt like, and I would just go through the pictures of her. Just go through the pictures of her, because all I was doing was thinking about her. All I was doing was wanting to be with her. All I was doing was hoping that she was okay. And it revealed to me in a moment what the heart of the Father looks like. That all he longs to do is move for you. All he longs is to be with you. All he longs is to celebrate you. All he longs is to be invited into who you are so that he can change the circumstance in a way that you cannot. Does that make sense? Jesus says this other very interesting statement in uh, John chapter 6, verse 63. He says, the words that I say to you, they are spirit and they are life. That word spirit means containing the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the, the spirit that resides inside of us. And he says, my words are spirit and they are life. That word life means genuine and real, abundant life. And man, I sat with this scripture for days and nights. What the heck does that mean? My words are spirit and they are life. Once again, I think every single one of us, if you are here in this place, you are in search of the spirit of God. You are in search of what makes him him. And if we're honest with ourselves, when we leave here, we're in search of what life, what makes life worth living, are we not? Jesus Christ says, my words themselves are both what you're looking for in the spiritual side and what you're looking for in enjoyment and in pleasure and in making you who you think you should be. And I got to say, I'm just going to be honest, I don't have a full answer for what this means. I think it's a part of the mystery of how God operates says in John chapter 1, the word was God, the word was with God, and by him and through him all things were made. And there is something that happens 
When I, as a son, receive a revelation of God in my spirit and who I am for another one of you, that when I speak it forth, it does something to you. It changes you. It marks you for the rest of your life. That no matter where I go, no matter what I face, I always resort back to that one word. That no, you're not useless. No, you're not an orphan. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're not, you, you didn't make too many mistakes. There is something that happens when I speak a word that is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That His Spirit actually moves in your life in such a way that it brings you life in a moment. And it brings you life when you're in famine. It is that very water in the desert that Jesus Christ proclaimed to be in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? Another way of putting this is in, uh, in the book of John. Is it John chapter 1. If you'd like, go ahead and turn there and we'll probably close with this. I forgot where John was for a second. Uh, verse 37. Now, I want to set some context up for this. This is with Mary. We all know Mary. She is a 13, 14-year-old girl right now. And she's about to be told by an angel of God, an encounter with God, that she's about to have a baby. Not by the work of her hands. Not by another man but by the impartation of the Holy Spirit coming into her body and making him. And, he, and she says, and the, the angel of the Lord says in verse 37. Am I right there? I got the address wrong. <laughs> Here's the, at least I have it memorized. He tells her this message. And she says, how can this be? I, I've never slept with a man. And he says this statement, says, for nothing will be impossible with God. This phrase, nothing will be, for nothing will be impossible with God, is actually a very interesting statement. That word, nothing, is actually comprised of two words. No, and a famous word us Pentecostals love called rhema. It's a rhema word. It, it, it speaks of a freshly spoken word of God. So let's break this down. For no word, right? Nothing will be impossible with God. Impossible means without ability. Without the ability to perform itself, essentially, is what it means. So what is this angel saying to Mary? He's giving her prophetic declaration over what's about to happen in her life. He's essentially saying, for no freshly spoken word of God, revelation of God, comes without its own ability to perform itself. When you give a prophecy that is anointed by God, you are declaring over a hopeless situation for no freshly spoken word of God comes without its own ability to perform itself. What are we saying? It's not about you. 
It's not about your failure. It's not about where you feel like you've defiled yourself and defiled the name of God. It does not matter how many times you've come to this altar and the prayer didn't work. It doesn't matter how many people have walked out on you. It doesn't matter how many husbands you've been through. It doesn't matter if you're the only one left in your family believing for someone to come into the kingdom of God. What matters... is that there is no freshly spoken word of God over your life that does not come without its own ability to perform itself. I didn't realize this. This is actually a parallel to when uh, God says to Sarah in the Old Testament, you'll conceive a son and his name shall be Isaac. What's interesting about that is Sarah laughed in God's face because she didn't believe and we know the story, many of us, 15 years go by, then God reiterates his promise, then another 10 years go by, and then she has the son Isaac. But before that, what people typically tend to forget is she had another son named Ishmael. She didn't actually conceive him. She saw the only way that this is going to happen is if I take it by the horns and naturally try to do it, and I will give my husband to our servant, and he will conceive. And he did. But that wasn't the promise. And what I love about this, as I found this out this week, is that in Jewish, and I think it's the Hebrew language, they said, to be born of a virgin, we know this, there's actually a, a small uh, a phrase there. To be born of a virgin is to have sex as a virgin that first time con conceptualizing a child. But that wasn't the promise of God. You can't tell me there wasn't the temptation by Mary to go and try to figure it out naturally. You can't tell me, like Sarah, there wasn't the temptation to say, okay, God said it, so I gotta go figure it out on my own. It's not working, it's not, it's not, it's not panning out the way I thought it would. But no, what does Mary say to the angel? She says, as the Lord says, let it be done in my life. I have the privilege of having a baby recently. And I'll never forget my wife it spoke, watching my wife go through pregnancy was, absolute, was the most amazing, life-changing thing on the planet because it said two things to me. It said, one, her body and the way she's just genetically, biologically made up was born for this. The way her body moved and changed and shaped and it still just created, still had this graceful beauty to it. It was absolutely baffling to me. But then there was also this other thing that kept nagging me as I watched is the sickness, the, the hormones, with, which we both paid for, um, The ups, the downs, the, the not being able to sleep. The, there was a real physical, mental, spiritual, hormonal cost to it all. And I said it last week, and I want to reiterate it again. When this, when this word comes into your life, it's not to be fatalistic and take your hands off and say, okay, there's nothing I have to do. It, the, the prophetic word comes to take you into process, to take you into seeing who it is you are. It, it, hold up what God has said about you and who you're not and just say, okay, I trust. I trust. Yes. There are words in your life that you were absolutely made for, but make no mistake about it, there will 100% be a cost to pursuing that word over your life. Does that make sense? Worship team, can you come up? Where's Becky? Would you all welcome Becky Manessas as she comes up?
we've asked her to prepare a word um, over the service and over the church, and, and I'm, I'm just going to let her take it. Y'all, every time I come up here, I am so nervous. So I am practicing hearing from God. And I asked him what he had for Rock Church. And he said, Rock Church. It's like, okay, so what does that mean? And he said to me, remember your name. I'm like, okay, all right, cool. I can't just get up there and say, remember your name. Like, I don't really know what that means. So, um, so my mind was um, going toward uh, Matthew chapter 7. If you want to go there, you can. Um, Matthew chapter 7, he talks about how, um, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Are you familiar with that? Yes? Um, and the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But he says, he doesn't say build your house on a rock. He says, everyone who hears these words is like a man who, okay, these words. What did he say before this? So I start digging and he says four main things. Now these things are either for you individually or they're for the whole church body. So it's really for you to, to hear and to discern what's for you, okay? He says, um, first of all, don't judge others. But at the bottom of that little section, he says, don't throw your pearls before swine. And in connection to the gifts of the spirit, um, my interpretation of that was, we need to be careful when we have, when we need to vent, when we need to go talk to someone, be careful who we go to talk to. Be careful who we are going to receive a, a possible word of encouragement from. These people, these people are filled with Christ. And these are the people that we can come to who will build us up. In the same respect, we need to be careful also when we give a prophetic word to be aware of their body language, aware of if they're receiving our word. It's okay to plant one seed. And then I feel like God showed me seeds. So he says, take one seed and put it in the soil and cover it up. Just one seed. One seed is all you need for it to grow, right? He says, you don't need a whole bunch of seeds and you put them in the ground and you cover them all up. If you have too many seeds in there, sometimes they get like all choked and they don't have room to grow. So one word, be careful who you choose to go to and be aware when you're, when you're giving a word. See, and I'm telling you this because I know you're all going to start practicing, right? Okay. That's what this is all about. He also says, um, further down in Matthew, he says, ask and it will be given to you. So really brief, if you want a gift, it's free. All you have to do is ask for it. Yes? Okay. Number three, the golden rule, which is all about loving your neighbor as yourself. If you feel like you need a word of encouragement, go out there and give a word of encouragement. If you feel like you wish someone would discern what's going on in your life. Go out and try to discern what's going on in someone else's life. Does that make sense? If you need healing, could you put your hand on someone and could you pray for healing? Right? Okay, four. God uses prophecy to build up his house, right? Right before this part about the rock, he says um, that healthy trees bear good fruit, right? So this is our house, and we are bearing good fruit. Fruit takes a little bit of time to grow, though, right? So we as a body need to be patient with these gifts as they're coming. It's not going to be like, bam, there we go, right? And you yourself then, as you start to practice your gifts, be patient with yourself, okay? So if we 
use wisdom, we ask for gifts, we use the gifts, and we use them in our house, our personal spiritual house is being built up, but our house is being built up. Yes? So when the rain comes, when the wind blows, when it looks like redemption is impossible, when we are hopeless, we are not. Because our house is on a firm foundation. The rock. Does this make sense? Okay. So if I can, I'm going to pray over you. All right? So, Father God, I thank you so much. Thank you so much that you, oh, that the Holy Spirit somehow feels that I can give this word. Thank you for the delivery. Thank you for the reception. I just pray that everyone receives it, that they seek you, and that they seek to use the gifts for the body, that we build each other up. That is what we are to do. That is what you want. That is how your love comes onto us, is through each other. So Father God, I just ask for boldness as we welcome the gifts, as we practice them, especially the gift of prophecy. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. Would you give it up for Becky again, please? Would you all stand? We're just going to go into a time of worship. I just want you to get with yourself and get with Christ and just begin to pursue. Amen. Just begin to go after. Just begin to go after Him. Just begin to ask, what have you appointed me for this time at this place with these people? See, no place I'd rather be. Thanks again for listening to our podcast and this week's message. Again, if you'd like to find out more about our church and attending a live service, you can find us online at www.rockchurchqc.com as well as on Facebook at Rock Church of the Quad Cities and on YouTube. Just search Rock Church QC and you'll be able to access our past sermons. As, and when you subscribe, you'll be notified when we go live for our weekly services. Until next time, have a great day and God bless.